I never have the scarcity mindset, right? When you, when you are chasing money or anything, when you're chasing anything, it runs from you, right? Yeah. So you want to create connections where people are attracted to you. You naturally become top of mind awareness and you can achieve something special and a deep, meaningful, lifelong relationship. Attempting to simplify the complexities of entrepreneurship and what makes for a good life. This podcast is riddled with questions, ideas, philosophical food for thought, tangible takeaways, and honest stories that highlight one man's journey. My name's Evan Shank. Welcome to the podcast, Which Way Now? What's going on, Which Way Now Nation? Welcome back to another episode. This is a special one. Our guest today is a top-ranking real estate professional in California. He's run a group of agents for over a decade at this point. He's working on behalf of many high-profile celebrities. He's the founder of Getzel's Group, based out in Calabasas, specializing in selling luxury properties. While investing in real estate for over 20 years, this man hosts a weekly real estate podcast and has a network of agents spanning many countries. Not only that, but he also sat on the board and has been an advisor of several companies, including educational institutes and nonprofits. Outside of the office, if you ask him, he enjoys jet skiing out to Catalina, sailing, horseback riding, and he's even been to the North Pole. His name is Nathaniel Getzels, and he's today's guest on Which Way Now? Welcome, Nathaniel. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Glad to have you, man. It, it was cool. Uh, just the, the way we connected, uh, we had an introduction conversation. We had a phone call a couple of weeks back, kind of seeing if this would be a good fit, if we could produce a great episode here and have some good content for people. And I think we, it was just kindred spirits. I felt like we really clicked and uh, just kind of where your heart's at and how you navigate your professional life and how that bleeds into your personal experience and just who you are as a person. Um, it's really inspiring the story that you have and some of the things that you've done. So on that note, why don't you just kind of give everybody a, a glimpse as to who Nathaniel is? How'd you end up in LA? How'd you get into the real estate game? Crushing it, obviously. Give us that backstory. Cool. And yes, that call was great. I didn't want it to end, actually. I was like, I want to keep talking to this guy longer. You know, <laughs> so it was, it was great. But um, yeah, so kind of my, my quick, the quick version of my backstory is... Um, you know, I, I, I grew up here in LA and um, I had a lot of free time as a kid and I um, had a car and would drive around and see all these different, like cool, interesting places. And, you know, I've um, so discovered different neighborhoods and kind of like got a little glimpse of like the back, the back kind of, I felt like it was like backstage LA in a way because it was the parts of, of LA and things that people never see um, even as a kid. So I was like, oh, that's kind of fascinating. And then I stored that away. I went to college. I've taught in um, every level of school from preschool administrator up through college professor. And um, actually, funny enough, the high school I went to, I even ended up on the board of directors for for, for a time there. So, But I had wow. taught in every level of school and I was, I was finishing my, my master's degree. And, um, you know, I, I said, well... I'm getting offered all these great jobs 
And I'm looking, you know, I'd done research around the world at this point. I'd studied all kinds of things. I've done more research than some professors had at this point. And uh, getting offered these amazing positions. And I went, this all sounds absolutely horrible. This does not, <laughs> this is not where I want to be in my life anymore, right? I thought I wanted to be in education. I, I realized that was not a good fit um, because of the fundamentals behind it. I just couldn't, I couldn't agree with the fundamentals of school, um, especially as an entrepreneur. Uh, they, they teach you everything wrong. Um, mm. So everything's absolutely backwards in school. So I, I couldn't, I didn't want to do that uh, anymore. And so I, I sat back and I went, well, I'd, I'd studied um, where people move, why they move, the psychology of it, how families grow and move, how cities grow, why they grow, where they're going to grow, how to predict that sort of stuff. And I have um, all kinds of worthless information about in my head of uh, random facts about almost every city. In fact, people have lived in cities for their entire lives and I'll bring information they've never heard and they grew up there, you know, for 50, 60 years. And I'm like, oh, well, that rock was this. And, you know, this road was, was designed because, you know, they needed the water over there or this was the first place, you know, they could, they could water the horses. So this is why it became the horse capital of the world or, or all kinds of random things. So I had that yeah. going. I had, um, you know, my, my dirty little secret at night was I'd pop open the, uh, the computer and when no one was looking, I'd surf the internet on Zillow for hours and just look at houses. <laughs> it was the dirty secret. <laughs> yeah, it was my dirty little secret. I didn't want anyone to know. And, uh, you know, when I started in college, we bought a, a property because I realized that renting was expensive and I'd rather get the rent than pay the rent. Yeah, that makes so sense. while I was in college, I had a uh, almost no expense as far as rental or housing goes because I rented out the other room and... Um, you know, I was good to go because I worked full time. I got straight A's and then had no mortgage. So, I mean, had no, no mortgage payment. So I, I had to figure out a way to make all these things that I was passionate about, that got me excited, that got me out of bed in the morning. Um, so I decided to take them all and figure out a way to make a, a, a career out of, out of the things that I was actually excited about, right? Yeah. Um, and so I literally went from Finishing my thesis uh, after years of study and straight A's in my in my uh, master's program to dropping everything, turning. It's one of those moments that you make a quick decision that's completely life changing on every level. And yeah. uh, I went straight into real estate, started my real estate career, and never looked back. Wow, that's so interesting. So when you were in that, like the crux of making that decision, was it? What were the feelings that you were having around that? What were the questions that were bouncing around in your head? What were you scared of? What were you excited about? And just like give us kind of what was going on inside your in your head during those moments. Absolutely. Well, I had worked every bit. Everything was still um, being a helping professional and wanting to help people and have the mindset of what can I bring to the table? Then what can I take from it? Right? Whenever people go to like networking events, they always go, well, I'm going to go and... Uh, let me see how many contacts I can get and let me see how much information I can get and what kind of business I can get, right? That's, that's yeah. the wrong mindset. You have to go 
with the idea of what can I bring? What can I give? Right. So, and that, that was always my, my background. And that actually also drove me to end up in real estate because it can help you. Um, well, it helps people for most people. This is the biggest financial decision of their life. And if they do it right, they will create generational wealth for multiple generations to come, right? So literally a decision you make today can set up your grandkids for success, right? Yeah. So part of my decision was I wanted to stay in a field where I could help people. And even now when I have clients that uh, it's not their, their biggest financial decision and when you take money out of it, real estate becomes real interesting. But um, even when it's not, it's still a big financial driver and a, and a financial tool that they're using, right? So it's, it's life-changing on every level. Uh, so I wanted to figure out a way I could still help people, but also make money doing it, and then still be able to create deep, meaningful relationships with people. You know, one of the things that I did is I was a behavior therapist for a while. And I worked with children with, with disabilities, mainly autism and other disabilities. And the main key thing, because it's a perspective disorder, mm-hmm. so the main thing to do is to attune with um, your students. And once you attune, even when the rest of their life is absolutely going crazy and they can't tell which way's up, because, you know, I, I mean, I was working with kids where you could tap them and to them it felt like you punched them against the wall, right? So, mm. so we, there had to be a way to kind of break through and create some sort of connection where, and a trust and a comfort where you could be their grounding, their grounding rock or their sounding board or the thing that when they came to you, they knew they were safe mm-hmm. and protected. And I wanted to find a... A career path that I could still do that, but also get paid, also work for myself, help lots of people with life-changing um, decisions. Right. And, uh, you know, a big part of it was I did no longer uh, want to be in that kind of system. So what I did is I put all my passions together and I got excited about it. I mean, sure, it's scary, but yeah. you know the, the biggest difference between a, a high producer and a low producer is uh, low producers fear failure and high producers hate failure, right? Mm. And I hate failure, but I accept that it's going to happen sometimes and it's part of the process of winning is to fail repeatedly. So, yeah. so what I did is I went, okay, everybody is running from this industry, Right which is probably the time to get into it, logically, sure. You know, I, I think uh, Warren Buffett said, when everyone's running from something, you want to go towards it. Yeah. So that's what I did. Do and also opposite, I figured, right? what's that? Do the opposite, right? Exactly. Do the opposite yeah. of whatever else is doing, you're probably going to win. And so <laughs> I went, funny. okay, well, this is terrifying, completely terrifying. It's completely different. Um, and I was exhilarated to do it because once I realized I'm connecting all the things I'm passionate about, there was no question. Um, so it was scary, but I just, I never looked back. I never thought about being scared. My mom always taught me, she goes, um, 
you know, because I was, I was sick as a kid. I had all these different things. We had to do a lot of scary things, uh, surgeries and things. She goes, great, great, great. You're scared of things. Okay, that's fine. Be scared after. Go do it. Mm. Execute it. Do it the best humanly possible, right? And then yeah. afterward, you can feel scared about it. Afterward, you can worry if, it, if you're, you know, going to be hurt from it. Worry about that's it really after. really interesting. Yeah. So, and if you're always thinking about worrying about it after, um, after is always later, right? So ultimately, you've done the thing. And then the majority of what people actually are scared of isn't the, the action. It's they're scared of being scared about doing something, <laughs> right? They're yeah. trying to avoid feeling the fear. They're not right. actually trying to avoid the thing that scares them, right? So if you can strategize and systemize the fear of something new, Right. Then you, not that you don't feel it, but it's, it's, it's deferred. And it's always like, oh, well, I'm going to be scared tomorrow. I'll be scared about it tomorrow. And then you've already done it. So there's nothing to actually be scared of. Right. And you can go, wait, this thing I was going to be scared of wasn't actually that scary. Yeah. Or it's, it's a real life hack. Yeah. It really I mean, my is. mom, you know, it's probably one of the most valuable things. And I don't think I've ever talked about it on on a podcast before, actually. So, oh yeah, exclusive goods this here. Is exclusive goods, exactly. This is the, the in in. Well, but, I love you know. it so much. I, I really do because that is something that we all face as human beings. Um, we're, you know, we're wired in this way where you know we're kind of built to at, at a primal level to survive, right. right? And so, if you start to break that down into who we've become as individuals living today in this type of society in the culture that's around us, there's a lot of pressures too. I mean, it's not necessarily like, don't get eaten by the lion. It's more like, don't fail in your career so that your family doesn't have a roof over their head. Like there's different pressures. Yeah. Um, and so I think fear has always been a part of us as individuals. And it's how can we reckon with that thing and look at it and respect it for what it is, but also be able to tell fear that we're the boss, you right. know, that we're in control of this. And, and the can, hardest part, yeah. I think, is for those that haven't really gotten a whole lot of reps under their belt, so to mm -hmm. speak, where right. they faced the fear, they felt the fear, just like you know, the people that they look up to, that they aspire to be. Those people have also felt the fear, but they have put in the work to quiet that part of their voice or that of their mind so that mm -hmm. they can carry forward with the thing that they want to do, that they aspire to become. And they know that this is the path they need to take. And so I think that what you're saying, your mom was teaching you um, this, this idea of, yeah, just defer, defer your fear, yeah. allow yourself to be scared because now it kind of takes off this burden. Like, all right, I have permission to be scared and kind of tremble a little bit but I don't have, I'm not giving myself permission to not carry on. Right, doing on scary thing. things is beautiful. It, it, it's the only way you ever grow. Right? And it's exciting, yeah, once you get yes. into it. Yeah. It becomes the best, some of the best feelings are not fear-based, but their fear is, there's something that you're nervous about, something that makes you a little uncomfortable. Like one of the challenges that I try to say outwardly, publicly, so that I put myself on the hook is do something at least once a week that puts you outside of your comfort zone. Expand your parameters 
um, of what you're capable of and what you're now becoming confident in. And that really allows you to quiet that, the voice of fear. And you know, that conversation. uh, Yeah. That, that putting the, and sometimes you can, you think it's, you're scared of doing a thing, but you're really just scared of feeling scared. Explain that. Break that down a little bit. So the majority of what people get upset and scared about and like, you know, start to, to have a fear response to is they're not actually scared of that thing, but they're scared of feeling scared. Right. So, so they avoid the feeling that they avoid even getting close to something challenging because they're afraid of feeling that scared feeling. So they avoid that feeling when really that action is not that scary. Right. And so they're not, so, so they're avoiding something that they're, because they're scared of feeling a certain way, but the action is what they're avoiding, but they're avoiding that to not feel a scared, you know, the fear response. Right. Why do you think that, that is? But it's the fear response they're actually fearing. It's not the action. Yeah. So if you just so go wild. do the action and worry about the fear later, you know, uh, problem solved. Right. Right. Because now I'm not trying to avoid this feeling and I've already done the action. And now I'm giving myself to feel the feeling that I didn't want to feel, but it's already over. Right. Right. So it's, it's kind wild. of a, it's, it's, it's a lot of it, especially with when you work for yourself or you're entrepreneurial or in real estate or something commission-based or whatever your business is, it's, 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 an, it's a mind game, right? And you have to play it with yourself mm-hmm. and you have to teach yourself how to be able to function. You know, Shaq, he says, uh, I'm too busy to be, to be, to be stressed, right? <laughs> yeah. By, he goes, by the yeah, end of the that. day, I didn't have time to worry, right? right? So you're it's just like doing, yeah. Yeah. So you just go and you do it first and, and give yourself a permission to feel scared or feel whatever you want to feel a certain kind of way mm-hmm. after. Yeah. But do but, the thing first. Yeah. Right. Entirely. Well, that was like for me with this podcast, which I started back in October and of 2021. So I'm kind of dating when this episode's happening here, but you know, so I'm still relatively fresh at this and I was scared to even allow myself to think about like, well, what would the podcast be called? What would, you know, how would it function? Because the more that I started to try to piece these, like find answers to these questions so that I would give myself the permission to Mm -hmm. carry on and do the thing, I had to just kind of take my own advice and say, okay, this is the thing that's going to make you uncomfortable this week. You're just going to, what, what do we want to call it? Oh, which way now? That seems, that seems like that should work. It's not taken, I don't think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Truthfully, I didn't really even look into it too much. I was just like, that makes sense because that, that's the premise of the audience that we're building here and the conversations that we have on this podcast is all about that. And before I realized it, I just opened up Canva, made some artwork and, you know, whatever. Uh, and I, and it was now done. I have a podcast. I told my friends I have a podcast and I'm like, crap, now I have a podcast. But I was actually, it was not as much of a crap feeling. It was more of an excited feeling, but now, now I need to carry on to the next thing. And then I was like, okay, how do I facilitate a, a discussion? Like what you and I are having right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm not an interviewer. I never hosted a late night show. I don't know how to do this. Right. Um, but I just took it one bite sized chunk at a time, and it, it kind of just how you started eat an to, elephant. Right? Exactly, exactly. Bite at a time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how elephants taste, but that's what I've been told is the way to approach it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I love the conversation of fear because it's just so true and so real for all of us. I think the fundamentals of it, of how we can um, not get caught up in our own, you know, fears. Right. I think the fundamentals aren't that hard to digest and understand, but I think in the practical application as an individual in your own personal or professional pursuit, um, that's where it starts to get a little tricky and you have to have that conversation with yourself in the mirror and uh, hear from, you know, experts like you that have, have awesome stories and insights to share through living this, not just being on the sidelines talking about it, like you've done this. Right. And so that's, that's, it's really cool to hear your perspective on things like that. Oh, thank you. Happy to, happy to share them. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, once you hack the fear, then you can do scary things and they're not scary anymore. And then you can start to just, um, you, you also, if you're not scared of things, it's okay to fail at things, right? And failure is great. I mean, I tell my team, fail fast. If you're going to fail, fail fast and fail often. Yes. Right? So you can get up and just keep moving. Because if you're slow motion failing, that's not, that's not what you want. But you don't want to feel fear the failure, right? And the way you can hack not fearing failure is do it. And you yeah. can be scared about it later. And then, you know, so, so it, all, it all ties back together. So what you do is you get over being scared of failing because you do it a few times. Then you're like, oh, I did that. I'm good. Now I'm just going to hate failing. And now you can start systemizing how to succeed. Yes. Right. Yes. And I love that concept of, and I actually wrote it down when you said it earlier of with the concept of failure, being scared of it versus just hating it. Right. Because if you hate something in this instance, especially, but I think in general, like it's, it's a overall overarching idea, but if you hate something, you know, it's going to happen. I mean, like when you're a kid, you, most kids hate kale, right? Or spinach <laughs> or whatever that healthy food they have to eat is. Right. But it's coming. You're mm-hmm. going to eat it, right? You're going to get through it and it gets you to the good stuff, right? Exactly. And so, you know, uh, like in business, I know it's coming, but I'm going to do everything I can to fight against it and, you know, maybe put the salt on the, on, on the on the broccoli or cook it a certain way or, you know, figure out a way it's delicious, right? So I'm going to reframe that even when the failure comes, it's a, it's a learning opportunity. It's not really a failure anymore. It becomes, okay, great. It's a learning tool that now gets me to somewhere else that I want to be. Yes, absolutely. Right? And I want to kind of pivot from what we're talking about right now and start to kind of meander into something you were talking about a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. Um, Just about the education system and what we're not taught in school that we ought to be taught. Everything important, yes. Or the opposite. The things that, you know, that we shouldn't have to be, you know, dealing with from a curriculum level because there's there's a better fruit for us to be taking in as we're these young, impressionable minds. Right. Supposedly going to school to be set up for success. Well, you know, it's kind of like, think about it like this, right? So everybody knows that mitochondria is the power of the cell, right? That is what powers the cell, right? But less than 70%, 70%, no, more than 70% of uh, U.S. citizens do not know what compound interest is. 
<laughs> now, which one of those things affects our daily life more? My, knowing mitochondria is the power of the cell or how compound interest is affecting our finances? Oh man, when you put it that way, goodness grief, you're right. I mean, there you go, right? Uh, Albert Einstein, he said that um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world and either you understand it and you earn it or you don't and you pay it. Mm. Right? So it's not even a new idea. Like it, it's not something that, oh, the schools just haven't incorporated yet. No, if how much financial literacy were you taught in school? Because I went through very high levels of school and was never taught almost any financial literacy whatsoever, right? right? I was not taught about how to get a mortgage, how to leverage a mortgage, how to, um, why it would be important to buy and not rent, right? These are all things, or even what compound interest is and why it's, my, why my uh, credit card was so high as a kid. Like, why is that? I didn't know. I'm like, wait, 3% is 3%. How is it? you know, $90, right? Whatever exactly. it is, right? So in school, the fundamentals of school are set up to just make you smart enough to work for someone, okay? So that's, that's what our school system's based on. It's so you can be a decent, low-educated employee who doesn't necessarily have any creative thoughts, no ability to really break out on your own, um, and so if you look at it in school, right, they teach you to work hard. That's wrong. You should be working smart. Bill Gates said, um, I'd like to hire, if you want to get something done well, you have to hire a lazy person. And that doesn't <laughs> mean someone who's not going to work hard. It's just because in this case, lazy means someone who knows how to work very smart and get a lot done with a little effort. Efficiency. Right? So then you find someone who's lazy, who's a high producer, and they're highly efficient and they get 10 times the work that their colleagues get done, right? So working smart, right? Mm -hmm. Not working hard, that's wrong. Um, get out of debt, that's wrong. You should be leveraging your debt. And most people don't know how to do that because they have no financial literacy. Because if you're not taught to, you just have a big credit card bill and you think, oh, I'm leveraging debt, but that's not what that means. Um, <laughs> they teach you to get a good job, right? And get a salary and get paid. That's not right, you should be building wealth. And there's several different ways to do that not just trading your time for money. And then a big one is also they teach you not to copy, right? And this, yeah. this is kind of a weird one because you go, well, not copying, yeah, not cheating on the test. But it's not cheating on a test. In every business, you want, you know, success leaves clues. And you want to learn from other people's clues so you don't have to make the same mistakes. We're not recreating the wheel, right? We're just making it turn a little faster, a little better, maybe with a little less energy, Right. So we need to learn to copy, right? Or look at what others have done and put it all together and collaborate with each other uh, to do something and be really successful. And, yes. you know, collaboration is also something not really taught in school, maybe a little bit at the, on, the, on the scholar, like the college level, but even then, small group, you know, there's no, there's no real group mind, like collaboration taught in college. Hmm. And uh, collaborating, you know, if you want to go far, you have to go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. Which one do yeah. you want? <laughs> I want to go far. I don't know about you, but. Right. And I want to go far with the people who are like-minded. So that way, you know, ideally you want to go far with people that complement you. 
So, you know, not, not necessarily with the same ideas, but their strengths are not your strengths. And you collaborate together and you can do amazing things with a very small group of people, actually. Yeah. That are well organized. So and you you start to find, yeah, there's a lot of power in in the togetherness and the camaraderie that comes out of it. And exactly. On an individual level, I think it even inspires us to continue to wear our strengths that we do, like what we do bring to the table, wear mm-hmm. that in, as a badge of honor because we represent that thing for this little team or community or whatever it is. And at the same time, in tandem, you don't have to sweat the things that you're not very inclined at, the things that you don't enjoy or the things that you just, it's just harder for you to make sense of, you know, because there's somebody that in the, in the crew that's kind of got that piece of the puzzle solved and they're great at it. And so they wear that piece as a badge of honor and we're proud of them for it. We're thankful for them for it. Exactly. They are that expert. I really feel like you should figure out what you're good at. And I'm all for working on your, your weaknesses. I'm not saying, you know, don't do hard things or things you're not good at, but in a business sense, figure out what you're great at and push on those things and become even better and hire people for everything else. Yeah. Or yeah. build a team for everything else, you know, to either build a collaborative team or hire people or just figure out what you're great at and push into that. Why do I need to, you know, it, it's like in, in real estate, I don't need to be great at every aspect of it, but I've built a team where I have someone that's great at every piece of it, yeah. right? So, you know, I have somebody that does the, the paperwork. I have somebody that does the this part, the that part. The, I have a legal expert. I have, you know, I don't, I don't need to be Entirely. those things. And, you know, when I started, I didn't know that. And I thought I had to be all things to everybody all the time. And so I was doing my own marketing. I learned social media. I mean, I built my whole business off Facebook, actually, because okay. I, I don't like, um, you know, connect. I, I don't like spamming you. I don't like the the mailing, you know, I, I hate when people come to my door, you know, so I, I've right. literally knocked on six doors in my entire career and I've got five listings, but I will not do it again. Well, that's a pretty good batting average. Yeah. You, and also I don't want to mess up those numbers. They're pretty good. You know, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Just quit while I, you're ahead. <laughs> you know, I like to, to get it other, I like to generate business other ways. So what I mm-hmm. did was I started, um, 10 years ago and I started, uh, and I realized I was organically connecting with people through Facebook. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. And I had a lot of time, not a lot of money, right? And I knew that I had to create deep, meaningful, organic, authentic relationships with people to do real business, right? Because I'm not trying to do one deal with somebody. I want a client for life. Every client I want that I work with, I tell them, you're stuck with me forever, <laughs> right? Well, that Even makes when they move out of too. state. What's that? I mean, in the psychology behind that is that's like if I'm the client in that in that situation, that makes me feel good because you know as long as the relationship between you and I are great and you've provided the value that I expected or you were able to exceed that for me, like why would I want to have to navigate the waters of finding a professional again when it's time to sell or buy something else or you know build upon the investments that I have? It's like it's kind of nice that I feel like I'm kind of being carried by somebody that's going to take care of me and that you can really right. feel that from day one, conversation number one. Yeah, it's funny that the you tell them that. <laughs> right? It, and I, I always it. laugh and I'm like, it's funny, but it's true. You're going to be stuck with me. Like, I'm not going to let you go. Right. And I, I'm here. Like, I'm an asset for you. I'm going to be your resource for everything you need. And so, 
Um, you know, I even have clients that'll move out of the country and they'll still call me for real estate advice or questions or referrals or whatever it is because I'm top of mind, right? Yeah. And so what I did with, with Facebook and now I do it with Instagram and, and Facebook and TikTok and, you know, I'm not as good with it on LinkedIn, but I'm getting there. So add them all, add them all. But, you, um, <laughs> you know, but the, uh, I, was, I was creating organic relationships. So I went, well, if I systemize this, because this is what's naturally working, right? So I was like, okay, well, this is working already. If I systemize this, then it can work really well. And, right. you know, I can build a whole business off of it. And I did. And it's funny because at first, uh, all the other agents were telling me, oh, you're wasting your time. What are you thinking? You're going to be out of business soon. This is a joke. Who are you kidding? And then in the first three years, when I outsold most of them, they turned around and said, oh, can you teach us what you've been doing? And I said, well, I've been doing classes. Just none of you have come. Right. right. Because I still have that mindset of we all rise with the tide. Right. I want to, mm-hmm. I want, there's enough to go around. Like, um, the only way to function at a high level, I think, in business is with an abundance mindset. So mm-hmm. knowing that there's more business to go around, there, there's more deals to be had. There isn't a fixed amount of pizza. The pizza gets bigger with the vision, right? right? And with the perspective. And if everybody puts in more dough, it's there's more there's there's more pizza to be had. Right. Right. And so right. I feel like that is what's allowed me to um, that mindset is what's allowed me to create these deep, authentic connections with people um, on all different levels of of the socioeconomic scale, because I never have the scarcity mindset. Right when you when you are chasing money or anything when you're chasing anything, it runs from you, right? Yeah. So you want to create connections where people are attracted to you, you naturally become top of mind awareness and you can achieve something special and a deep, meaningful, lifelong relationship, you know, business and personal and, and whatever else um, right. you need it to really achieve. Taps in, it, it taps into all the different areas of our existence, our limited chance at life here on earth, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously it works really well professionally speaking, but it does enhance um, in spades, um, who you are as an individual in your relationships outside of work as well, and opportunities that uh, start to present themselves. It's funny, that's something that I have, admittedly, I've struggled with in the past is the scarcity mindset mm-hmm. of, and more so, more so in the context of finances and money, in my case. Right. And it's mm-hmm. a constant endeavor of trying to um, kind of wrestle with that and not allow myself to backslide into that scarcity mindset. And it, right. you're, like the pizza analogy, I think is just so true. Um, I actually, I heard something either earlier today or yesterday, very recently talking on abundance versus scarcity, this mindset, because um, I was writing like a little blurb in a newsletter that I'm prepping to start launching here soon. Oh, More to great. come on that for everybody listening. I'm excited um, to see that newsletter, by the way. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. So um, but yeah, so I just wanted to kind of get some more perspective from other from other minds about this concept of abundance and scarcity and and how this can really enhance your life or it can you know derail you if you're on the wrong side of the coin. And um, this guy, he was more so speaking from uh, the perspective of like a love life like relationship 
um, dating, marriage, any of that. And he was like, it's kind of like holding a butterfly in your hand. And Mm -hmm. if you clench that butterfly so that it doesn't fly away, you'll suffocate it. And you won't have it anymore. Like you might have it, but it's just, you know, it's what once was a living. Yeah, exactly. It's a dead butterfly. I mean, they're pretty fragile. But it's funny, the more open-handed you are in holding that butterfly, the longer it will stay. Giving it the opportunity to take off and go somewhere else. In many cases in our life, especially in relationships, but it applies everywhere, the more that you allow something to escape or leave, the more potential for it to stick around. And the humans tend to be that way. It's kind of like, um, you know, these really overprotective people in a relationship or a lot of jealousy mindset. It's, it's ugly and it's a scarce, it's based in fear and it's based in scarcity. Mm-hmm. And if you can extract that and get rid of that in your relationships and give people the freedom, it's like, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, my parents were great, phenomenal parents. They raised myself and I've got a younger brother really well, in my opinion. And that paid off for our relationship um, in a huge way when I got to the point where, you know, it was time for me to leave the house and figure out my own path and chart my own course. My relationship's great with them. And I'm so thankful for that. But it's because of how much they allowed me to try new things and try and fail too. Right. Um, and so it, it, I just think environment it's so true. fail is so great early on. Yes, yes, entirely. And it even goes back into what you were talking about with the, your development of the individuals on your team and, and what you're teaching them and what you're allowing them to do. You know, fail, that's fine, but don't let that, you know, like wipe you off the map. Don't let that start to impermeate itself into you and how you see yourself because this is a natural part of the process. I always say, if you're going to fail or if you're going to fall over, fall forward. So that every time when you stand back up, you're, you know, I'm 5'10", so I'm at least another 5 foot 10 inches further down the road than I was when I fell previously. So if you can fall forward, then you're going to still ultimately get to where you're trying to go eventually. And you're going to learn a heck of a lot along the way. Absolutely. You definitely are. And, you know, I think part of... mm, Part of when you work with people, right, especially in like a service situation, if you build that attunement, right, if you build that that connection, the vibe, the flow, you know, uh, uh, Chris Voss calls it tactical empathy. Um, Mark Golston calls it listening in. One of my favorite clients calls it the vibe. But if you the build vibe. that with somebody, right? Right, the vibe. I love that love one. It. I didn't get yeah, it yeah. when he first said it. At first, I'm like, "You're kind of woo woo." I didn't get that, but <laughs> no, I totally get it now. Like, I right. really feel that, and that's the one that actually, ironically, resonates with me the most now. So, yeah, it's weird, but you know, you find the flow, you resonate with somebody, you you connect with them, then that scarcity and that fear of loss, to me, it, it naturally goes away because the person's attracted to you, you're attracted to them, and you want to you know, you're, you're building a community with them and yes. there's a natural magnetism where, where that goes away. And now all of a sudden uh, you can embrace and you feel the abundance mindset and you're going, okay, I don't have to worry about, you know, losing this client. I don't have to act like, you know, a salesperson. 
I can just be a resource and provide valuable, um, you know, real information that's based on what their needs are and help fulfill those and, you know, ultimately have a successful uh, outcome. Right. 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 Well, it's this, um, something else I've heard is getting caught up in more so the potential of a transaction. Mm -hmm. You know, when, I mean, if we're talking, you know, real estate agents with um, their leads and their clients and, you know, you look at, if you start looking at everybody on your contact list and in your network as some sort of potential dollar sign. Right. um, Yeah. It becomes very transactional. Right, yes. the, everything becomes a transactional in in, in a transactional uh, back and forth, right, or a transactional experience, and that's not what you want, especially in a service situation. Um, so you can't have a transactional mindset, and the the key is you don't want to fall in love with the deal; you want to fall in love with the process. Mm. Explain right. that. Break that open for us a little bit. So, so if you're obsessed with this deal. You know, you're worried about losing the deal. You're worried about losing the client. And if you're worried about those things, you're probably going to lose both, Hmm. right? And some deals don't go well. They just don't. They're just not meant to close, right? But if you have a transactional mindset, the whole goal of your relationship is to close a transaction. If you have, um, if if you change that perspective and you've built a, a relationship with this person, you know the process that you went through to get to the property, right? We'll just use real estate because that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So you use the process of building the relationship, nurturing that relationship, finding them what they want, guiding them to the property that works for them, guiding them through the process. And then if at a certain point that process of that specific transaction doesn't work, it's okay because you have fallen in love and obsessed about the um, the process, which so you know you can just repeat the parts that led you to the deal, right? Right. If you haven't, if you're obsessed about the transaction, then you're so worried about losing this one transaction, this one escrow, that you're missing the bigger picture, and you don't know how to get back there, which is one of the reasons you're scared of losing this one. Right, mm-hmm. you haven't built a relationship that is deep or meaningful with your client, which is why you're worried about losing the client. And the client's probably not feeling a connection with you, so they are you. You become more of a commodity that's replaceable versus a valuable resource. That you know you, your relationship with them becomes like your currency. You become right. an irreplaceable asset tool, if you will, uh, for them in this process, a trusted source of information. If you haven't done that, you haven't uh, created a repeatable system or, right. or a, a, a healthy process, and you just got lucky with the client. And if it doesn't go well, they're probably going to go to somebody else because there's nothing special about you. Right. right? If you're not providing value and so what you have to do is you have to provide value, but first you have to create that connection, right? So you have to create the connection, create the trust, and provide value. And if you can do all three of those things, you will achieve top of mind awareness. You'll create an authentic, deep relationship with the client, right? You always want to think about going deep, not going wide when it has to do with your clients. 
Like I, gotcha. people are always obsessed with how many people are in your database, how many people are in your database. I'm trying to delete people. I delete people every day from my database, actually. Even on my Instagram, I deleted, well, my team deleted 6,700 followers last month. Oh, wow. Because because they weren't, they weren't high value, right? I only want high value people. The less right. people I have, the more value I can provide for them, yeah, right? The depth, the depth, the like depth. you said. Exactly. And I can focus on them and I can give them, I can nurture them more, right? right. If I had a thousand people or a hundred people, I can literally give those hundred people a far better experience than that thousand, mm-hmm. right? Because I can focus on those hundred people as individuals and give them all valuable information based on their individual needs. Yeah. Now think about if I have 20,000 people and I had 25,000 followers on Instagram and I put out high value, edited, authentic videos every week, mm-hmm. several a week. But, you know, online especially, it's especially important to, to be focused and deep because it's kind of a, a analogy for the world. But on Instagram, for example, your posts are only going to 10% of your people at best, right. right? So now if you're wasting that top 10%, then they're not interacting, it goes nowhere and that post just dies and nobody yes. saw it. So it's kind of like if you have too many people in your database, if you're trying to be everything to everybody, you're going to be nothing to, to, to everybody, right? Yes. So, so you're going to be everything to no one and nothing to everyone. So you're exactly right. You really need to go deep and figure out how to be valuable in, in a meaningful, authentic way. But enough that you're actually connecting and creating that relationship. Yes. Right? I mean, I can download every person in the phone book right now and start marketing to them, but that's going to be the least effective thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I create a, uh, you know, a, a relationship with, the, with my people. Right? And yeah, I'm always open to meeting new people and I do every day and, you know, I'm always I- increasing my, my, my database, but I'm also taking people out of it. Yeah. Right. So that, yeah. that's the important thing. I think and that's. And so if, if you have the process, you're not worried about losing people because if the process, the process tells you if they're good or not. Yeah. Right? The some process sort of tells you if you're it. a match. Right. Yeah. You want to systemize success. You systemize luxury. You systemize success. You systemize whatever you're doing authentically and you will succeed. Yeah. Well, and it's. As I'm listening to you say all that, and I'm, I'm resonating with everything, uh, but I think there's a real challenge for those that are at the beginning of their pursuit yeah. in a profession. For instance, I'll use myself as, as an example. I, I actually, I live in Florida, and when I first got here about 10 years ago, I was like, am I going to go back to college? I already dropped out once. Am I going to do that again? Or like, what do I want to mm-hmm. do? And, and I've always been fascinated with real estate from the investment perspective, from just like the beautiful locations. I'm here in Sarasota, Florida. So, you know, we're right on the water and we've got, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful place. And I'm from Ohio originally. So, I mean, I was just like eating it up. I was like, these properties are amazing. And I was like, okay, well, I could go get licensed. I'll work really hard to get my license. And this, I'll dip my toe in the water, you know, and I'll start to build a career out of this or see where it takes me in life because of this pursuit. And I only lasted about a year. I, mm-hmm. I was an agent with Keller Williams and um, 
I've really enjoyed it all, but I did have, I think my big fail point was number one, I didn't have a safety net financially. So I was desperate for the dollar, right? Desperate for the dollar. You know, I was borrowing my dad's, I was borrowing my dad's suits and watches before I go out and meet a, a potential client to show them through some properties. And, you know, I like, I needed to close the deal. Um, and so it was hard because, I needed to get some wind in my sails. I needed the dollars, like I said, or at least I thought that I did. That so much that I was focused on the wrong things. I was being more transactional than I should have. And I wasn't paying attention to a process or a system. I was just doing my best to try to get people to sign on the paper. Right. And not that I was not that I was manipulative about it or not kind to them or friendly when we were shaking hands and talking about their needs and what they're looking for. You know, I think I was doing a pretty good job, but I had a lot to learn. And that was a big thing for me was it's, it's hard when you're in the beginning, when you're kind of desperate and you need it, to, it is hard. you need to have something work out for you. It's feast or famine. And it is. And you know, that there's some workarounds for that, which is, I always tell people fail fast and fail, fail often. Right. Yeah. Because even, you know, I even forget sometimes, and we always get when it when you get excitable or nervous or or are under a lot of pressure about something, you can, you know, fall out of those those systems. And for you, you didn't even have a system to be in. Right. So you know, you need a really good like. We're not recreating the wheel, like I said earlier. And so, if you have a mentor that can teach you the current wheel, that is worth its weight in gold. And so I didn't necessarily have a strong mentor when I started, but people always ask me, what would you change? And that is the first thing I would change, right? Um, because you're, you're, you just need to perfect it and make it personable for you. So one of, the, one of the first, not first, but one of the biggest fails that still not grinds me, but I still go, I could have done this different and I learned from it. And I'm so glad that it actually happened, even though it would have been great if it didn't happen to, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Entirely. Is, yeah. When I got referred my first, first big client, I'm not first big client, but my first famous client, like superstar level client, um, it was a referral and they said, hey, call this number, da, 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 you know, talk to them. Okay, great. So I called and I probably was on the phone three or four minutes with them. I'm like, great, great, okay. And I felt like they were trying to wrap up the call. So I was like, okay, so um, how much money do you want to spend? And are you doing it financed or, or, or uh, cash? And they just hung up and I never talked to them again. And that was it. Ooh. And I was like, wait, what, what just happened? What just, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, what did I, is it something I did? Like what? Yeah. And I realized later I hadn't built the relationship. I hadn't built a deep, I hadn't tuned with them at all. I barely even knew what they wanted. I had no idea. I talked to them for two minutes and then I went straight to the transaction. And part of it was, I'm like, I know what I'm doing, right? I want them to know what I'm doing. And I want them to know, you know, that I don't care that they're a celebrity. I just want to show them how professional I am. And right. I realized I left, I dropped all my rules out of, out of the sky, right? And so it was, a, it was a great learning moment. I still 
you know, still would have been great if it never happened. But <laughs> I use it all the time because whenever I'm going to meet somebody or, you know, uh, whenever I'm talking to somebody about, about real estate, I think, okay, remember, build the relationship. Don't worry about anything else. Just build this relationship and everything will be okay. And I'm glad I did. And it's actually driven some huge celebrities to me, this, this you know, following my own rules. Right? Yeah. And it's really my natural way anyway, right? People always give me a hard time. They go, you're not, you're not transactional. You're not, you're not driving to a transaction. Like, that's right. Because I'm building a relationship. You know, yeah. uh, that's, that's the key thing. Once you do that, everything else falls into place. So when you're new, you do have to budget, right? So that's a big thing that people, one of the first things I ask people when they say, hey, we want to we wanna be in real estate. I say, great, go to the bank, take out $10,000, put it um, on a bonfire and uh, burn it and watch it burn. And if that gives you no stress whatsoever, no stress, let's talk, right? But, hmm. but you do have to have, um, you know, you're starting a business. You're not getting a job, right? So, so people have to understand when you start a business, there is time and money that has to go in before you get anything back. Right. And so some hacks around that, though, are you can work as an assistant. You can work um, with a minimum, right, or a, a draw against pay for a few months. There are workarounds, but you have to understand them. And some certain brokerages are more based in signing up agents and they make money from their agents. And most brokerages figure, well, anyone can do about three deals. So either we'll make money off their E&O and all their fees and their costs um, and we'll get three deals out of them or we'll just make money off their deals and their, their, their E&O and their costs and all that and not worry about it. So agents have to be very careful where they start and how they start because a lot of these brokerages make their money from the agents, but their agents don't make money. Hmm. So that's yes. an important thing to look at. And if you have, you know, you can get on a team that maybe helps you learn right off the bat. Maybe they, they feed you leads or at least give you training and kind of teach you how to use the assets you have to get deals. But Starting any business is hard. Starting a highly competitive business like real estate is very, very hard. So yeah. you need to have a good system in place before you start day one. Otherwise, you know, that's why most agents have a similar story or, you know, a more horrific story than you did even where, yeah. you know, they end up losing a bunch of money or, you know, ending much, much worse places because they don't have that system to start with. But any business, you want to have a system. Even when you buy real estate, right? I mean, I have real estate in countries I've never even been to. And well, there you go. It's fun. And you make money from them. So I still yeah. get paid. So it's okay. Sure. Um, you know, once you understand the systems, it doesn't really matter where it is. As long as things fit your formula and your system, you're good. The biggest mistake people make in real estate as a um, buyer's is they don't have a plan, right? So even when you buy real estate, you need to have a plan, not just for the purchase. They just go, oh, I bought a property. Yay, I'm rich. I right. think, I don't know. Wait, now what do I do? 
Oh, I have right. to pay a mortgage. Oh, I have this. I have that. Uh, what? Uh oh. So there's they, a lot they don't, to it. There's a lot to it, and they don't make a plan. They don't have an exit strategy, and they end up either losing or definitely not, you know, making money. Sometimes you lose the property altogether if you don't have the plan because yeah. the costs are too much and you didn't plan ahead. Even first-time home buyers, their biggest complaint is right now, especially millennials, is wow, I didn't know about all these sleeper costs. Right? And the sleeper costs are electricity, yep, gas, regular home maintenance, taxes. I mean, there's a lot of costs that go into owning home ownership. Now, if it's an investment, you have to have a plan ahead of time of how to pay those costs, mitigate those costs, or plan for them, right? I mean, I, if you buy property and you don't know the difference between cash on cash and cash flow, you don't have a plan. <laughs> you got you have some uh, more books to read, some more YouTube videos to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. You need to uh, at least start following me on Instagram. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I can no help kidding. guide you there. No kidding. <laughs> but yeah, you got you got some more work to do before you're just going out and buying a house. And, you know, m- most people are transactionally minded and they will drive you to the transaction and then they're gone, right? right. They got paid. You are stuck with a house or, or a property. You don't know what to do with it. And your support system disappears overnight. Right. And you want to reach out to them because that's your uh, last touch point as far as the, the real estate pro. But then at the right. same time, it's like, are they even still doing this? Or did they even like me? Um, maybe this exactly. is a chance for me to you know, scout the market again and find somebody that's maybe better. It, but then at the same time, you know, from the consumer side of things, you don't really want to spend the time to go try to find somebody new. Back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, like, I'm glad you're here and get used to me because I'm going to be here for life because I've yeah. got your back. That's right. It, it, it's wild. It's wild. Um, I'm looking at the time here and I want to be respectful to your calendar and to people's ears and everything. There's some other stuff I want to pivot us into because you're- yeah, let's go. You're the man for it. Let's Thank actually, you. let's dig into um, some practical advice and insights that you may have as to today's real estate market. What trends are you seeing? There's, things are kind of turning. Obviously, COVID came through several years ago and um, it's shaken up um, the world in a lot of different ways. And it's, it's trickled through into all of these different industries and asset classes of how they work and function and where the deals are, where they're not. Inventory has been crazy. Um, like make, help us make sense of it. What's, do you have advice, takeaways, things for us to watch out for, look towards, steer away from any of that stuff? The floor is yours. Just school us up on today's market. Absolutely. Well, there's, there's a bunch of things that you touched on in there. And um, one of them is one in six properties right now is being bought by an institutional investor. And that means they're getting put in a portfolio and they're off the market pretty much forever. Um, because what they're going to do is these institutional investors put them in portfolios. And this is to rent, to create rental properties because rents are going to skyrocket. And part right. of that is because of groups like these institutional investors who are buying thousands of homes, millions of homes, actually, and putting them in portfolios so they're off the market. They're, even when they're traded again, they'll be sold as a portfolio to another institutional investor. 
right? And they'll be used as rentals for years. And so um, the thing to understand is interest rates have gone up significantly, right? I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in a three-month span, they went up over 60%. Uh, Not interest rates went up 60%, but your payments, the meaning for your payments went up 60% over three months uh, this year. And they're still going up. They went up after that even more. That was before the largest rate hike in the last 22 years, which just happened a few weeks ago, which was, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think 0.75, three quarters of a point, which is huge. It's one of the largest rate hikes in history. Yeah. And this is all to hedge inflation, right? But so with inflation, the best way to win during inflation is to take all of your liquid assets, put them into a um, into something that hedges inflation, like real estate, for example, and then leverage it. Meaning, you put, you take a loan out, right? When I say leverage, I mean you take a loan out against it. Now you need to make sure that you can service the loan, meaning make the payments, mm-hmm. right? That's not too close to your comfort zone. You want to have a good buffer. Because let's say the economy shifts and somebody loses their job or you have a, a lack in income that you're counting on, you don't want to lose the house. The key to win is keeping the house, right? Mm-hmm. The key in all real estate is really be able to keep going. As long as you can hold on to the asset, uh, you will win over time. So the best way to win during high inflation is you leverage that asset. And literally what ends up happening is every month that you're that you're making that payment because you have a fixed uh, interest and inflation goes up. And so you're borrowing at today's expensive dollars and you're paying back at tomorrow's deflated dollars. So your dollars are becoming worth less and less, but you're paying the same amount of them every month. Right? So this is a great strategy. People go, oh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till prices come down. Da, 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 da. And uh, the, the key is when prices go down, if they go down, which right now they're probably not going to go down this year, by the way. Okay. Um, but I don't think they're going to go down this year. So last year, uh, we're having a great deceleration. So last year, things went up about 20%. Uh, this year, I think they'll probably, overall, the market will still go up about 3 to 4%. Much different rate. Very different. Of growth. Very different. Which is good because uh, 20% is unsustainable. And right. if that were to happen, uh, two years of that, we'd have a major, major catastrophic crash that could um, be a huge problem for at least the next 10, 15 years. Mm. Uh, we, we wouldn't recover for at least 10, 15 years from it, in fact. So, uh, the, but what happens if, is interest rates keep going up. So if you're waiting, right, let's just say prices stay the same. Well, in six months, you're still going to be paying more money because your interest rate went up. Now people go, well, what if interest rates come back down? I think they're going to go down next year, right? Which there's a a big group that thinks that. Okay, well, you buy now at the lower price because next year prices will be higher. But you buy now at the lower price, you get the interest rate that you get now. And then if it goes down, you refi, refinance the lower rate. And if it goes up, well, you're still locked in at a lower rate, so you win either way. Exactly. Right? So a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Um, and especially for first-time homebuyers, I would say that's not necessarily the right choice because what, what will happen, we, we might have stagflation, which is where 
Um, interest is going up. The economy is shrinking and inflation is still happening. So interest and inflation are going up, but the economy is still shrinking. But this will make it very, very hard for first-time homebuyers specifically to get in. And it will uh, cause, in, in not interest, but uh, rents to, to skyrocket even more. So that means first-time homebuyers will no longer be able to buy a house, but they'll have to pay an exorbitant rent they probably also can't afford. Right. So that means real people, stuck. Yeah, people are going to be stuck. They're going to be living at home. They're going to be moving out to, you know, other cities, other places. It's going to be a big problem. Now, there's a few markets that you do, are kind of bubbly right now, right? And that's like Austin, Texas. And by bubbly, I mean where the prices have far outweighed the income increases and inflation. So the prices just have gone up exorbitantly, really. So Austin, just in Texas, the wrong spot. What's that? They're just in the wrong spot. Well, it, it's because people that. bought with, um, with emotion, not with logic. And the secret to all real estate is the buy. If you buy at the right price, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter where mm-hmm. it is. It doesn't matter what it is. If you bought at the right price, you have a margin and you're safe. Right. Right. But when people buy on emotion, they're not only not buying at the right price, they're buying not even based on, on anything logical. It's just, we right. want it. We want it. There's a huge demand. You know, I had a client who told me they went to Austin and there was a house that was listed at 700000 and sold for um, $1.6 million. And wow. the other house in that neighborhood didn't, didn't rationalize the price. So all they did was they bought a $900,000 house for $1.6 million in a $900,000 neighborhood. And they're going to be stuck in that house. I hope they want to live there forever. Yeah, because right. They're never going to be able to get out of that. Well, and then it skews the data too, as far as when people are pulling comps and now what people perceive the value of those to be. It just starts to drive things up in an irresponsible manner, it seems. That's right. And just, just a, an idea, though, to keep in your mind, every agent that's talking about, oh, here's what, his, based on historical data, based on historical data, and most, uh, most agents don't actually understand the data. They're just an ecosphere. Um, but most, almost all the data they're basing it on has a little caveat, which they're not looking at, which says, except during stagflation. Oh. Right? Except during stagflation, because stagflation barely has ever happened in the history of the United States. It happened in the 70s. And, you know, that's actually one of the reasons there's these huge rate hikes is trying to avoid stagflation Mm -hmm. because that will be a big problem for most homeowners and buyers, but especially people who don't already own, they will get edged out and will be paying high high, um, rents and not be able to buy anymore. So right now the advantage is, most people can still buy something, right? right? And rents are going up. And look at Florida. Florida has some of the highest rents in the entire country. They've gone oh, up man, more crazy. than anywhere else. It's wild, right? You're there. I'm living in it. Yeah. yeah I mean, fortunately, we own a home, um, and I'm very grateful for that and the yeah. decisions we've made to you know, be where we are. But Well, now you need to I buy have, another one. You know what? <clears throat> I'm looking towards that. I actually, am. you know, it's I'm an really asset class I want to be a part of. I'm really excited about STRs, short-term rentals. I think there's a lot of opportunity there that um, people are leaving on the table. 
because most people don't understand the space mm-hmm. or they just didn't buy right. Yeah. So, um, and they don't know how to manage it or they don't want to put in the time. So like I was just put on the, the board of a company called Houselet, which is, if you think about it, a quick, easy way to understand it is Airbnb meets Zillow and they had a really pretty baby. <laughs> and that's Houselet. It's basically nice. a few click solution to rent properties, specializing in 30 to 90 day furnished rentals, but you can rent longer term, you can rent unfurnished, you can rent whatever you want. So it's, it's a really interesting solution. Um, mm. But with STRs, with short term rentals, people either buy the wrong property, they don't adjust the price, so they're leaving money on the table every day, or they're paying way too much for management. And usually the management isn't that good. So we have hacks around all of that stuff. Um, but Ooh, I Houselet think, specifically? Uh, Houselet is a great key for that. Yeah, Houselet. Uh-huh. And then um, there's an investment arm of it called Orgato. And there's okay. a few different ways. But, you know, um, you can use a dynamic pricing tool that changes the price every day. You can, you have to get someone who really knows STRs. Not just any agent can help you. You need a specialized agent who knows the short-term rental market and knows how to properly analyze uh, analyze the data and the income from a, from a property before you buy it. Right. Um, well, and like you said, every you, the deal is won or lost on right. the buy on the purchase side. That's right. Every, did you give yourself any room, any margin on that for whatever may happen over the next several years, or did you not? And what's your long play? Is this a ten-year? Mm-hmm. Hold or is this a turn and burn? Are you trying to rehab something and then rent it? Or you know, there's a lot that goes into it, and it's. I think it's also really cool. What makes real estate really exciting, at least from my perspective, mm-hmm. is that there's so many different ways to play the game. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a million different ways to succeed in real estate, and it's funny because a lot of people call me and they go, "Okay, great, I'm going to get my real estate license." And the, my first question is, "Why?" Right? Why? Why are you going to do that? <laughs> what, what do you want to do with that? Like, it's it's a fair question, but most people are, are completely thrown off and perplexed by it. They're like, because I want to know about real estate. I said, okay, well, what part? Right? Because right. a lot of people think getting a real estate license will help them be a better investor. Most of the time, that's not right. Or they'll be a better um, flipper. Most of the time, that's not right. Or they'll be a better homeowner. That's definitely not right. Yeah. Right. So just learn more about law and easements and things of that nature. Exactly. That's what I remember from my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever use that in the year or so you were actually working in real estate? Not really. And if there ever was a question where that would apply, I had already lost that knowledge because as soon as I graduated, and I'm using air quotes for those that are listening, as soon as I got the certification, it was like, okay, now it's time to actually learn how to facilitate transactions and build a network and build mm-hmm. the systems like you're talking about. And it's very similar to the way that kind of that standard education system where it's like, okay, now you graduated, you got your diploma. Now it's time to actually learn how to like live and right. maybe even flourish Going, in this world good luck. as an adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. Exactly. Bye. Yeah. Good luck yeah. out there. Thanks for sticking with us for 12 years. You should go mm-hmm. to this college. Exactly. Um, go to that college and then you're not our problem anymore. Yeah. But yeah, so the, really go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, that there's a million different ways to make money in real estate. I mean, just the basic ones, right? There's uh, just cash on cash, meaning you buy and you hold and you make money from the increased uh, increased value. 
You can mm-hmm. buy and rent long-term. You can buy and rent short-term. You can buy and do like vacation rentals. Um, you can do REITs. You can do crowdfunding, right? Uh, you can do, I mean, there's so many different options. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody comes to me and they go, I want to buy property as an investment, I go, okay, great. Do you want to go uh, cash on cash or do you want to go cash flow? And usually I get this blank stare of, I want to make money. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. So right. cash on cash, you know, you're making equity build, um, long term money, right? Long term real wealth, usually. Uh, cash flow is when people talk about financial freedom. That's really what they're talking about, a bigger cash flow. That's how you replace your income with real estate, right? Mm -hmm. And that tends to be more in the middle of the country or short-term rentals or different specialized markets, not so much on the coast. The coasts are more a cash-on-cash build. Right. Right? Yeah. And uh, that's the cool thing is you you can create your own success in real estate. You don't need a license. You don't need these things if you want to succeed in certain ways, right? You could be a builder. You could be a a speculator. You could be a wholesaler. You could do, you know, land banking. I mean, there's a million fun, wild ways to do it. And you're absolutely right. That's what makes it so interesting. It's awesome too. And and as you get in there, as long as you don't screw yourself on deal number one and kind of put yourself in an upside down position, you can always continue to study and discover um, other elements of this, this game um, right. And flip that into whatever else you're doing, or start to diversify the way that you play the real estate investment game. Absolutely, and I think what you said was the key. As long as you don't screw yourself, and the key in real estate is keep going. If you can keep going, you will win. Right? Even if you have a loss here, over there, you can deduct it from a, a future gain. Right? The key is mm-hmm. you have to be able to keep going. The only way to fail in real estate is to stop. Mm-hmm. If you don't yeah. stop over time, you will win. But you have to have a plan because without that plan, there will be a drop at some point somewhere in the in your in in your situation, and you'll have to stop, and then you lose. Right. Well, and that really translates into just life in general. Yeah. Like picking yourself back up. I mean, we've continued to kind of circle back around to the concept of fear as one example of this, but right. it's just so true. The process of um, being courageous enough to get out of bed the next morning and whatever that means for you, literally and metaphorically. Absolutely. Like, keep showing think, up. If you think about it, like every day you start back at zero, it's kind of a freeing idea, right? Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, okay, today was horrible. But tomorrow, I'm just going to go sleep. I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to start again. And it's mm-hmm. going to be okay because the sun's going to come up. You know, it, it's kind of, it always makes me think of when kids have their first relationship. And yeah. they, they, you know, when they were really in love or, or had really strong feelings for somebody. And that ends. And they get so upset, and they're crying, and it's like the world's ending. And the reason that that world's ending for them is because they've never experienced it before. So they, they don't have the memory of living through it. Yes. That's the key. They don't have the memory of living through it, so they don't know. I mean, logically they know, but emotionally you don't know that you're going to wake up the next day and mm-hmm. the next day and the next day and everything's going to be fine. 
and continue on. And the sun still comes up. And if you can get that idea through your head, uh, then you're going to be okay. And the best way to do that, fail. Have it happen. Have the, the horrible, unpleasant thing happen. And then hate that thing and work hard to avoid it from happening. But accept that it could and probably will happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, that That's experience, it's, it's no, it, and it's not their fault, you know, the young teenager. Um, right. It's not their fault that they're inexperienced. That's where they are on the timeline. Yeah. You know, of their life. life. Right. Yeah. And well, and it makes me think a lot about when I was an agent because working, you know, in the Sarasota area, it's an older demographic, you know, a lot of retirees. And so there's this kid that's, like 21, 20, 21 years old. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I couldn't change the fact that, and it was that conundrum of uh, where you need experience to get the job, um, but you can't get any job because you don't have any, or like whatever that conundrum right. is where you it's don't like, have the experience, so you can't get the job, but to get the job, you need the experience. And it's just this whole thing. And so yeah. that's where I think it circles back around to start to, wrap up and summarize everything we've discussed today, it comes back around to this idea of being able to understand that let's pick up each day starting at zero. Like you said, let's not put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect out of the gate. That doesn't mean don't calculate your decisions, especially in like a perfect context is in a a purchase, you know, in real estate, things like that. Be calculated, be logical, but, you know, because I think like you were saying, a lot of us get really caught up in our emotions and we make emotional based decisions and being able to even just kind of zoom out of yourself and see there's a logical side to this position I'm in and there's an emotional side and I'm not going to completely disregard one for the other, but I'm going to recognize that these two things are going to be happening at the same time as I'm deciding how to move forward. And if you can zoom out enough for the young ones out there, for the people that are scared to leave their job and start this hustle that you've been wanting to do or wherever you're at, where you feel very inexperienced and a lot of times feel inadequate in these moments, let's look at these bigger, just foundationally true principles about life. And it always seems to, I mean, this is like, I am a broken record about this on this podcast life principles always seem to apply into professional side of things. Absolutely. And the stuff that you're taking away from the people that you look up to and lean into on the professional side, there's an essence of, there's, there's truths in there that will enhance your personal life. And altogether, everything, once again, maybe it's take a deep breath and try to practice the mindset of abundance so that you don't come in being so transactional that you sabotage the opportunity for great relationships, you know, before that can even happen. And it's not even by intent, but it's because you were caught up in the nitty gritty. You weren't able to zoom out and kind of think a little bit more rationally about all of this. Right. And if you, uh, especially when you function on a high level, uh, if you're not functioning from that mindset, it resonates and people will be, will be uh, running. They'll be running. Yeah. They'll be yep. deflected. They'll be running from you because on the, especially on the higher level of business, you will reek of desperation and nobody likes that smell. 
Right? <laughs> it's a good way to put it. I mean, I mean you're right. It's true. You're absolutely right. And the thing is, you said something very, very important, which is the things translate over from personal to business. And a great like test is if it doesn't translate, it's probably wrong. Hmm. Because it's a good way to put it. If it doesn't translate, there's something wrong with the thought. And so you probably need to either throw it away or at least go back and analyze why this doesn't work in one instance and it works in the other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, taking this time on this, this wonderful Friday afternoon. I've actually, I've got this huge window in my office that I'm looking Mm -hmm. out at and it is storming so bad. So really, I don't like, as soon as we started recording, I saw these dark clouds roll in. I was like, Oh, welcome to the sunshine state. It's that summer rain. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see if the lightning in thunder is picked up in this recording. We'll find out. Um, well, I haven't heard it, but you know, here in LA, if it makes you feel any better, it is uh, sunny and beautiful. Oh yeah. It makes me feel great. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Hey, you can picture my window and it might help, might help you to feel better. There you go. See, we'll get the sunshine here in probably 20 to 30 minutes from now, Mm -hmm. but now the humidity just went up about 30%. That's what just happened. So you're okay with the storm because you know you're going to get through it and it's going to be pretty soon? It's going to be pretty soon, but it's going to look nice out of a window. But as soon as you step out there, it's you're going to be just drenched. Oh, I understand. The humidity's crazy. Because of the humidity, yeah. I couldn't couldn't handle it. Uh, Here, it's going to be very hot through that window because I'm in beautiful air conditioning, obviously, now in my office. (laughs) But uh, there's no humidity, so I'm okay with it. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, what I like to do, Nathaniel, at the end of these episodes- Yeah, I'm excited uh, for this. Is throw some fun questions at you. Let's do it. Um, Yeah. And I will tell the listeners, I gave him the chance to kind of to scan over these questions so nothing caught him by surprise, but I don't know if he checked it out or not. So um, we're going to put you on the spot if you didn't look at him. I like the surprise. Yeah, all right. Let's Here we go. It. I have no Just idea. a few quick questions. These are fun questions. Uh, let's start off. What's your favorite thing you own and why? My favorite thing I own? Wow, yeah. this was a hard question. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. I'd say... Um, I do love my new computer because I just bought it and it's a super fun toy. Um, so, and it, it kind of gives me access to everything I need to do and it's um, a great tool for business. But I actually love, um, love my shoes because they're super comfortable and I find it's really important to have comfort sho- comfortable shoes and it makes mm-hmm. me want to work out more. It makes me want to move go. around more. It makes me just happier in general. So really comfy shoes. I have on clouds, the on Swiss on clouds. They're my favorites. Ooh. And I love them. Well, there you go. I love it. A computer, some shoes. You're set. That's a good right. life over there in LA. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm set almost to be a, a digital nomad there. But right now it's all about LA, baby. There you go. There you go. Question number two. All right, let's you go. Could, number two. Yeah. If you couldn't have this career... What would be your dream job or career? What would you be doing if you couldn't do what you do? Would I have to be working? I'll let you take this question however you'd like. Because, I mean, on one hand, I'd just be laying on the beach. But um, okay, fair enough. I, I get what you're saying. So I think— How do you um, add value to the world if you couldn't do it the way you do? Right, right. So I wouldn't be adding much value as a— <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, but— um, I mean, I'd, I'd probably do 
lean heavier into my other side, which is being a board of director and helping drive companies and, um, you know, kind of be a C-level and above executive on, on a number of real estate tech companies. If it had to not be real estate at all, I'd be on the board of a bunch of schools. I might own a school. Um, I maybe owned a series of schools that taught in a more uh, productive, valuable way for, for kids, not just, uh, you know, what a lot of school is, which is kind of glorified daycare at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Not all school is. Some school is very important, and it's great, and right. you teaches you how to think. But a lot of it is, um, like I said, teaches all the wrong things and enforces the wrong ideas and does not set you up for success. So my former life, I always planned to have a school and build a school that was uh, valuable for people that taught not just academics, but life skills and, and um, uh, financial literacy. So I love it. it that's, a, yeah. that's a great answer. And that I, I really hope that in some part of your life, um, that you dig into that as much as you're able to, um, as much as you have the capacity for it, because that is just, obviously it's critical in so, so many ways. And, um, just from this conversation today, your perspective and outlook on things and your experience in the educational system, uh, you could be, a, uh, you could move mountains for the next generation by what you could teach them and how you could set that up. So well, thank I, you. I cheer for you to, uh, go into that at some point, but Thank you. I, I mean, I'm always low key, kind of working on that in the background, but it's a there you go. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn on that side. There you go. Yeah. Sweet. Question number three. What's your favorite emoji? Oh, um, that's a funny question. Um, I like the thumbs up, but also because I have an eight year old, she's obsessed with the poop emoji right now. Oh, I don't yeah. know why, but I don't know why you'd make a poop emoji. So to me, it's like a fascinating, confusing one. So it's it's a tie, I think, between the thumbs up and the and the poop emoji. <laughs> That's a nice little uh, the one two punch right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thumbs up and yeah. Well, because it, it's kind of provocative in a way, but it's still cute enough, right? You know, you got that, a little smiley face and everything. Yeah, <laughs> but like if somebody gives you a toy that's a poop emoji, you're going. Uh, what? what am I supposed to? <laughs> right, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, what what are you trying to say to me here? I'm very confused. Thanks, I think. Right. Like, Thanks what? for thinking of me. Is this what you think of me? Exactly. How <laughs> deep am I going to analyze this one? You know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number four. Yes. Are you more of a sing along to the radio type of person or a drum on your steering wheel while you're driving down the road kind of uh, person? Sing along while I'm driving. For sure. Sing along. All day. And what are you singing? Oh, it depends on how I feel. Sometimes it's that, you know, that uh, power, power ballad. And sometimes it's some, uh, you know, just just John Mayer, just like singing oh, I'm along. So glad you said that. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a mix. It's a mix. I love great music. Love great music. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not just a, 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 a how do you say it? Not a racist, but a a, a genreist. A genreist. <laughs> I love You're not all stuck genres. In one lane, you do it exactly. All. What if would it's good be music? The, I love it. Yeah. What would be the genre that like? would catch people by surprise if they found out that you truly enjoy it and actually do listen to it? What would be that genre? Well, I mean, I do have a deep love of music from the 20s. From the 20s? From the 20s, yeah, like Cab Calloway and like, like you know. Well, not, not Cab Calloway, that's not the 20s, but 
that's more like the 40s. But yeah, the 20s and 30s, there's some really cool music. And it actually, a lot of it kind of influences music today without people realizing it. Because if you track it back far enough, yeah, you know, so the 20s, the 30s, that, that usually surprises people. Do you have a record player at home? Um, I, I used to have a record player at home. Now I have it all digital because, well, why not? uh, records take up a lot of space <laughs> and, but I, I, my parents have several record players at their house. So, and we have a huge record collection there. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Music from the twenties. I would, yep. yeah. Like I, that throws me for a loop. I love it. Right. But I wouldn't have guessed that. I'll send you some, you yeah. could, you could check it out. I'll send, send yeah, you some of for my sure. favorites. Yeah. Please do. Please do. It might be my new favorite genre too. Right? It'll become the intro and outro music to this podcast maybe. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you know, a lot, last... of, a lot of samples are from like older, older style music that you don't know where it's from, but I might yeah. know. I might know. Well, life is cyclical in a lot of ways and we are influenced by the things that happened before us. Um, Absolutely. Whether we recognize it or not, it's kind of funny history, that way. But History does repeat. Whether we like it or Something like not. that, right? Yep. <laughs> Here's your last question. Okay, here we go. What What will your life look like in 12 months from now? Paint a vivid picture, Ooh, scene. 12 months, wow. That is, Where are we going? Where are you that, taking us? Well, we're going, uh, I'm going to have helped more people create a uh, $100,000 a month passive income through real estate. So I'll have created, in essence, I'll have created millionaires, right? Yeah. Number one. Uh, right. Number two, I'm thinking uh, the company Houselet will be much further along and I'll be able to help shape the uh, rental space from a digital aspect as an advisor on a much larger company because we just launched a couple of weeks ago and it's doing very well. Um, awesome. And there's some institutional investors that might snap it up, but I don't think we're going to let them, so we'll see. Um <laughs> Obviously, I will have traveled to at least one of the countries that I own properties in and probably bought more properties in those places. I'll have um, helped a lot more people buy and sell their homes by then. And I probably will have perfected some more of the uh, educational systems that I'm putting into place to try to help uh, home buyers. And then also my team will be even bigger and stronger than ever. So there you go. Goodness grief. How, how do you have all the time in the world to get all of these things done? I gave up sleep a long time ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, so you'll I live really a shorter do. life, but it'll be an accelerated one. No, no. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've actually gone to several sleep doctors and they told me as long as I'm healthy and I don't feel tired, the amount of sleep I get is fine. So I sleep 45 hours a night. And there's, there about, there's about 1% of people that can naturally do that. Right. Right. And it's, it's okay and healthy. And, you know, I monitor my health. I have a, a concierge doctor. Um, I also have some of the top sleep doctors in the world who are my friends and clients, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I'm You're constantly consulting with them. So I'm, I'm checking it out. I'm being healthy. Good, healthy, good. Yeah. Well, we want, we want to make sure that you're staying safe and healthy so that you can keep having this tremendous impact on the world with what you've done already and what you're building up, especially, I mean, 12 months from now, if that's all happening, just imagine for the, for the country, for the world, what you're going to be able to do in five years from now. Goodness grief. Well, you know, it's, it's wild because five years, 10 years didn't seem that long, but if you look back on the things you've accomplished in the last five or 10 years, you've probably done amazing things without realizing it. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. true. And we always get so forward focused uh, right. that sometimes you know it's we need that reminder. A lot of us. Right. People always look say backwards. don't look back, but if you look back, it's it's about the perspective that you look back in. Entirely. Not not living in the past, but learning from it and pushing you forwards from it. Right. It's Huge like difference. the gas that's pushing you forwards. If if you're not you know, packaging that right, you're losing momentum. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, to conclude this show, I mean, this is, we've got all sorts of stuff packed into this episode. I knew this was going to be a good one and I'm, I'm on cloud nine about it. I'm really excited to get this out to the world for you guys out there listening. We really appreciate having you here, part of the Which Way Now Nation. Nathaniel, man, so good to know you and to meet you and everything you're doing is incredible. I'm going to give you the floor for a second to give some, give us some call to actions. Where can people find you? Where do you want people to go to connect with you? How can you help them? Um, where are you at online? Things like that. And then just summarize up kind of some of those takeaways that you think are the most important things um, from today's episode that we really want to hammer home one more time for our audience and we'll wrap it up. Terrific. Okay. By the way, do you love hamburgers? Because there's like a neon hamburger behind you and it's... I do. I do, yeah. but... Just had to ask. Know, it, it, a hamburger is fine, but a cheeseburger is great. Mm, you so, know what? That is a cheeseburger. I see the cheese in it. It may, I, you know, Think. it's it's mm. art. You know, it's open to you know whatever. My it interpretation makes you feel. is a big cheeseburger. That's it how is I interpret a, that art. I was like, so. I need a neon sign. I really need a neon sign. Yeah, it's pretty I was like, cool. Let's get something quirky. I was like, cheeseburger. I'll be the burger guy. That sounds there good go. to me. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot worse things you could be. So, anyway, well, that's very thank true. You. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I do post uh, value. I try to post high value items every week on my uh, social media. Uh, Specifically, I'd say I'd go to my Instagram, which is at Getzels Group, G-E-T-Z-E-L-S. It's my last name for all those who want that little hack. Uh, Getzels (laughs) Group, and that's on Instagram. I'm also Nathaniel Pichon Getzels on, or Nathaniel Getzels on everywhere on the internet. I think the Instagram, though, will have my phone number, my hair type, my blood type, my fingerprints, <laughs> probably. I mean, they you can pretty much have everything on there. Um, yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn, all these, you DM me, it comes to me. Um, don't be fooled by my huge following. It is actually all coming to me. So I've got your back there. I'm happy to provide uh, any answers to any questions you might have. I love helping people. So go ahead and connect with me there. And it is super important to um, always fall in love with the process and not the transaction. That is the biggest takeaway I would give you, but also the second biggest, because I like doing a couple things, uh, is don't fear failure. Failure is your key to success. There it is. Transactional mindset will take you nowhere. Focus on the people in your life and the the soul that is inside of them and connect at that level and prioritize that. And that will take you to places that it you're gonna feel like your life is limitless at that point. And action builds. Those fear deep, fizzles. Yep, fear it's all fizzles. Good stuff. Exactly. You you build that deep, authentic, real relationship, organic relationship with something, with someone. I mean, not something. <laughs> and fear fizzles and your success just grows organically and you attract good things. I love it. I love it. I think that's the perfect spot to just wrap this up, put a bow on it and ship it out to the people. All right. Thank you let's again. Do it. 
Nathaniel, you've been great. Thank you again for your time. And for all of you guys listening out there, I really appreciate you. This is the Which Way Now podcast. Make sure you go and leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this on. You can find the video format on YouTube as well. And then, then you can see the cheeseburger in the background we're referring to. So um, for that, have a great rest of your week and you are loved deeply and entirely. Until next time, peace. Well, that does it for this episode. You can always reach out to me directly on my Instagram at evanshank75 with any thoughts or questions you may have. I'd love to connect and hear your story. Make sure you follow and subscribe and also leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to this on. My only question to you is, which way now? 